Hi everyone, uh, good to see you guys. Um, if you're new to our church, welcome to Covenant Life Church. Uh, my name is Aiden, uh, pastor of our church. Uh, hope you are welcomed to our church and have a great time worshiping with all of us. So just a quick announcement actually before we go in. Uh, next week, we're going to have a guest speaker. Uh, his name is uh, Seichi Yaginuma. Um, sounds Japanese, and he grew up in Japan, but he's actually ethnically Korean. I'll explain more about his background uh, next week, but he's a very good friend of mine. You could call him maybe a, my accountability friend. Uh, we always went back and forth, and it's a great friend of mine and excellent preacher. So... He'll be here next Sunday, and I hope you're excited for that. And uh, today, uh, we're going to start a new sermon series on the book of Acts. Uh, we finished Philippians last week uh, by God's grace and uh, long to uh, go through this book. Uh, probably not for long, um, probably go until the end of the summer, Lord willing, and I hope that this book is an encouragement. I think it's an encouragement for our church because um, this book is all about God building up the early church. And, you know, our church right now is going through some transitions. And um, I hope that as we maybe compare and see how the same God who worked through the early church can work through CLC, uh, may you be blessed by that. And with that, that's going to... Uh, to, uh, today's passage, which is found in Acts 1, uh, reading verses 1 through 11. Again, Acts 1, 1 through 11. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there with me. I'll read it for us, and we'll pray and go into the time of sermon together. Acts 1. In the first book... Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands to, through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, when they had come together, they asked them, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times and seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of, it, out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, 
Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him going to heaven. That is God's word. Uh, let's pray together before we uh, study together. Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you uh, just utterly trusting in your sovereignty and your provision and your love for us. As we will see, all that we do for you can be done by your Spirit. So I ask that the same Spirit would empower us to listen to your word and be attentive. And empower me as I deliver your word. May I be clear as I communicate your word to your people. May you strengthen all of us through this time together because your, your word is living and active and you are indeed speaking to us right now through this time. Thank you, Lord, for all this. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Before this week, I told myself I'm going to take some time to look at all the faces because like, I tend to just kind of zoom through all the faces that I forget who's in the sanctuary. So, okay. Good to see you guys. Today's title for the sermon is called The Mission Possible. Um, I got it from the movie Mission Impossible, if you could guess. In those movies, one thing that's unique about the, the, uh, how the movies go is that in the beginning of those movies, Ethan Hunt, the, the main character, he receives a message from secret agents. And those messages come and he opens the messages that tell him what the mission is. And then they, you know, self-destruct in five seconds and then boom, right? It's kind of like that in today's passage, except this will not self-destruct in five seconds. Um, meaning that this is a mission that God is giving to, or rather Jesus is giving to his church. And Jesus wants us to heed the mission. And just like Ethan Hunt went after the mission, the church even more so, go after the mission and focus on it. So that's where we're heading in this message. Uh, three points uh, to help you follow along with the text. Uh, first point, the background of the mission. Uh, second, the mode of the mission. And third, the content of the mission. First, the background of the mission. Uh, verse 1, it says, the, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So in this verse, we get a clue and an idea of who the author uh, of this book, this book might be and what this book is all about. Um, so there he says, first book, meaning that uh, the book of Acts is a sequel to that book. And then he also mentions the name Theophilus, uh, interestingly, so he's the recipient of this letter or book, and the same name, the same person is found in the Gospel of Luke, 
according to Luke chapter 1, verse 3. So based on these evidences and more, scholars agree that the book of Acts is written by Luke as the second volume of the Gospel of Luke. And verse 2, he says, Until the day when he was taken up, Jesus was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So Luke is basically summarizing here uh, his gospel. And, and that was the ending of the book, how Jesus gave instructions to his disciples and he was taken up into heaven. So now in this book then, what we're heading into is that uh, Luke will... Uh, take what's left off in his Gospels, and he will tell the rest, rest of the story that he stopped in the first volume. And that's what's happening here. But before he continues in the passage, uh, he pauses and quickly gives us a background, a context of the story that he's about to tell. So we read verse 3. Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So as we read in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus suffered in the hands of sinners and died on the cross, and he was uh, risen from the dead. But interestingly, in this verse, Luke highlights the fact that after the resurrection, Jesus tried hard to prove to his followers that he was alive. He was physically, literally alive. And we ask, why is he doing that? And the reason, as we'll see, is that Jesus wanted to encourage his followers. Also, he wanted to restore their mission. So we got to try to get into the, the disciples' shoe here. Just imagine with that. Uh, as we read the gospel accounts, uh, these disciples, you know, they gave up everything to follow Jesus because they thought, they believed that he was the Messiah. But then, as we read on the turbulent Passion Week, Jesus gets arrested and, you know, he gets executed on the cross, which was the most shameful way to die at the time. So now, identity crisis. Or more than that, they are running for their lives because all of a sudden they're being treated as criminals, right? So now, what they must be feeling is probably, you know, disillusionment, confusion, or anger even, and ultimately, hopelessness. Just, just feel that with them. And now they're saying, it's all over. What do we do now? Our leader is a criminal. He died. And now, back in our text, after he conquers death, Jesus shows them his hands and feet and he's eating food in front of them to show that he's really alive, proving that he really is who he says he is. This is a historical fact. He's trying to show them that he is the Son of God who gives, who alone can save people from sin and death. This alone is the Redeemer and King who will deliver us from all our miseries and share with us his glory in the end. He is proving himself through resurrection. So now, 
The disciples must be joyful, not despairing anymore. And also, as, as they see these evidences of resurrection, now they get their purpose back. What it is, what's the purpose? Now they can be the witnesses of Jesus because they have just saw all these proofs of his resurrection. Now they can tell others. Now they have purpose as followers of Christ. Jesus restored their purpose as well as uh, their joy. So what's happening here is that when all of them thought that it was all over, God was in fact moving the story along even through dark times. And now we see that there's a next chapter in the story. The story was never over despite all the pain that they experienced. You know, when you watch Avengers Infinity War, when Thanos snaps and the half of the population of the universe disappear, you may think, oh, it's all over. Man, no more Avengers movies. Not because there's Avengers Endgames, right? And guess what? After that, there will be Avengers, another movie with another villain. In the next movie, there will be redemption. They'll go on and on. That's how the franchise goes. In the story of salvation, it's even better because Jesus has already secured the ending by his death and resurrection so that any narratives of our lives, you and me, through pain and sorrow and mountaintops, we always will have happy ending. Meaning, there are different seasons, but we always can hope that there is a next chapter. And I think that's encouraging for our church. You know, we are going through some challenging time as a church, as well as just in general, pandemic. I mean, global pandemic, once in a lifetime thing, where everybody's suffering. How do we get over that, right? But again, putting that in the narrative of the gospel, there is happy ending. This season is not the end. There's a next chapter. So we hope in Christ. The background of the mission. That's where the mission thrives in that continuous story. Second, the mode of the mission. Verse 4 and 5, Luke says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Luke is saying, or rather Jesus is saying, that they are to wait, the disciples are to wait for God's promised gift. And uh, we see that the, the gift is the Holy Spirit. And then we jump to chapter 2. There we see that the Holy Spirit does come and enter the lives of the disciples at Pentecost. So the promise is realized. And we pause there. Just think about it. Jesus is telling him to wait. Wouldn't you think that he should rather utilize the momentum? He's, they're excited right now. They're excited because of the, the, the seeing 
the resurrection, and and they they realize that ho- their hope is not dashed. It's still there. But Jesus is saying, wait. Just wait. That doesn't make sense, right? But we see the clue of why he's saying that in verse 8. So we jump there and read, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, on and on. What that means is, when we read the baptism with the Holy Spirit, it means that the disciples will receive the supernatural power to do God's work. And the power in the book of Acts is associated with uh, speaking boldly for the gospel as well as working miracles. Here, Jesus is essentially saying that the work ahead for the disciples is beyond their pay grade. Doesn't sound encouraging at first, but just being real there. Hey guys, this is not possible with your own strength. It's not possible with the human devices, human ingenuity, or strategies. It can only be done by the Holy Spirit enabling you. Without that, there's no way. It's beyond your abilities. So do not jump over to the task right away, but wait learn to wait on God. Uh, A lot of movie illustrations today, but I hope you don't mind. One of my favorite movies is uh, Spider-Man. And I'm referring more to uh, the old version with the Tobey Maguire. How many of you know that version? Amen. Wow. Okay. I'm not too old. Well, so... That's my favorite version anyway. Uh, I mean, respect for what, who, Tom Holland and Andrew Garfield. I think. Well, bless our soul, but I like the Tobey Maguire version. But in the movie, uh, I think it was the first movie, that's right, first movie, um, Peter Parker, the main character, uh, aka Spider-Man, and he was a weak guy originally, right? You know, he was you know, made fun of and picked on, and his friends wouldn't notice him, let alone the, the girl of his dreams, Mary Jane Watson, you know, being ignored. There are a lot of things that he wants to do as a teenager, but there are a lot of things that he cannot do because of his limitation. But on that fateful day, he gets bitten by a mutant radioactive spider, and there's some genetic uh, mess up there, and now he gets the superpower of the spider. And I'm thinking of this, this scene in the movie uh, where he wakes up in the morning and then he realizes that he doesn't need the, he doesn't need the glasses anymore because he has like more than perfect vision. And then the next scene is he's like checking, in, checking, in, checking himself out in the mirror. And then he realizes that he's like jacked up. He's got like apex all of a sudden he's like flexing he's like oh what is this and then as you know his hands get sticky and he gets mad hops and you know strings come out of his wrist and stuff and he is a superhuman now and and of course 
because of the warning from Uncle Ben who said, with great power comes what? Amen, yeah, great responsibility. And he uses his power wisely for others to serve others and he becomes a hero. I'm sharing that because the disciples in the story are like Peter Parker before the spider bite. They have good intentions. They want to serve God. They want to do God's work. But they're not able to do that. First, they have limited knowledge about God's scripture. Second, they're still scared of persecutions. I mean, there are people out there out to kill them. And, and most of all, they don't have power to change people's hearts. They can speak words, but they cannot expect fruits, right? But when the Holy Spirit comes, we see that clearly throughout the book of Acts. When he comes, now they have spiritual vision to understand God's word. And, he, and the, the Spirit also gives them spiritual muscles to endure through the persecutions and speak boldly for the gospel. And lastly, they see the Holy Spirit bearing fruit, changing people's hearts in the most unlikely places. And they realize, Jesus was right. This is beyond our pay grade. And all glory to God. And I think we have to pause there with Luke. Because, again, as we um, pray for our church during this time, this very instructive and such an incentive for us to rely on God more. You know, last week we stu- when we studied the, the last passage of Philippians, we saw that humility is the recipe and, and key to getting God's blessings. If we do not rely on God by humbling ourselves, no blessings. Same concept here. In order for us to do anything as followers or as a church, we must rely on God. We must wait on God. This does not mean, of course, we don't plan. We do plan. We do discuss things. That's what we will do, in fact, uh, next week at members' meeting. But as we do all of that, there has to be surrender. God, all these plans, they are just plans, unless you anoint them with the Holy Spirit. It's all up to you. That Attitude of humility is a must for us getting power as a church. So let's rely on God together. And I want to say thank you. I know many of us are praying for our church day in, day out, week in and week out. Let's keep doing that. That's our key to growth during this time. So the mode of the mission, the Holy Spirit. Third, the content of the mission. So we finally look at what is the mission all about. Verse 6, the disciples misunderstand. They say, so when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Uh, they're, just, they're just being cerebral. They're just asking theological question there. And Jesus is saying to that, verse 7, It is not for you to know times or seasons 
that the Father has fixed by his, his own authority. Meaning they're asking about, God, when is the end time? Jesus is like, don't worry about it. It's up to God. That's not your job. Rather, there's the one thing you should care about. That is the mission, verse 8. Again, we read, But you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. What is he saying? Hey, guys, forget about anything else, everything else. This is the mission. This is what you are to focus on as a church, as disciples. Everything else is secondary. You are to be my witnesses of the gospel everywhere. The word witness presupposes the fact that a person has seen or experienced something and now they're able to share that with other people. So the disciples, as we saw, they literally saw and experienced Jesus. So they had something to say about Jesus to other people. So it makes sense. But what about all the subsequent followers, right? They, don't, they haven't, like we haven't met Jesus physically. How do we testify? Because the Holy Spirit, spiritually we have real presence of Jesus. So we can and we should experience Jesus in our lives as we walk with him, as we enjoy his joy in, in our spirit. So we can share the experience of Jesus to others as well. So we can be, along with the disciples, witnesses. What that means is that the church is a place where we experience Jesus through the word and prayer in the spirit, and we get to share with other people outside of the church. That's the mission. And we also see in the, in the verse, the disciples were to, uh, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, all these places, and J Jerusalem was their home base, their, their home, and Judea was the province that included Jerusalem. Uh, so it's, it's basically people that they're familiar with, the Jews. And Samaria was uh, near Judea, but they have very different culture. So they're also called to be witnesses to uh, those who are not in our or their uh, culture or even language. And then the end of the earth refers to everywhere else or anyone else, especially for Jews, um, non-Jewish Gentiles. For CLC, this can be open-ended. I think we can fill in the blank together at some point. But I think the Jerusalem part can be uh, just one another in, the, in our home base, in the church. We remind the gospel with one another. That's a mission. And also Judea for us can be uh, the immediate setting. One example could be because of the locale right now, uh, the campus, the Welcome Week is coming up and you know, we can be a blessing to students on campus. But not only that, you know, we have many wonderful young adults in our church you know, who are working. You know, I think there are some recent, recent grads as well who are working right now. And the co-workers and people that God planted in your lives, they are your mission field. And Samaria could be, you know, people who we don't normally interact with because of the cultural barrier or uh, socioeconomic barrier or whatever that there might be. 
we can reach out to them perhaps by partnering with uh, other churches who are specializing in those ministries. Just one example. There could be other ways, but that could be another mission area for us. And lastly, the end of the earth is obviously supporting overseas missionaries. By the way, uh, I got an email from one of the missionaries to Southeast Asia, and, and, and they will be coming in December to report to us what they're doing. And that's one good example of how CLC can be uh, witness to the end of the earth. Many other examples, but those are some of the prominent things that we are doing right now. So reaching out to everyone and everywhere is the mission that has to be the forefront of our church or for anybody who follows Jesus. And then lastly, uh, Luke ends with uh, this few verses here. Let me just quickly go through that for us. Uh, from verse 9, it says, When he has said these things, as they're looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they're gazing into, the, into heaven he, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him going to heaven. So we see the two angels appearing as Jesus is going up to heaven. And there's a hint of mild rebuke. Meaning, especially saying, hey guys, why are you standing there and just looking into the sky? You got work to do. Jesus just left. And before he left, he gave you important mission. He entrusted it to you. That's what you're to do. Instead of just standing there and not doing anything, being idle. Again, the angels are calling them to mission. Hey guys, this is your calling. And that is our calling as well. You know, we have a, a clothes dryer in our, in our house. It's probably over 20 years old. It's very old. We inherited that from our previous owner of the house. And uh, it's just really old and dirty. Um, and uh, and. Alongside, we have this insurance for all the appliances in our, in our house. And how the policy goes is that if the, any of the appliances are beyond repair, the company replaces the appliances for us. So I was thinking, oh, maybe they can come and check out our dryer. And if it's not working, if it's too old in their inspection, maybe they'll give us the new machine. So I called them. And the technician came and he inspected and he did everything that he usually does. And, and he goes as an evaluation. He says, this machine is amazing. It's working so great. No flaw. Amazing. I was like, no. Plan failed there. And I learned later that uh, those old machines actually run better and they almost never break compared to the new machines, it's because the newer machines have too many functions. You know, they have line drive function, you know, anti-static function, you name it. They have all kinds of, kinds of functions that you have to like press and whatever, right? 
whereas my old machine only has two functions, on and off and timer. That's all it got. But because that old machine is faithful to its main job, it never breaks. Whereas the newer machines, all these functions are competing with the main job and they break more easily. And you know what I'm getting at. As a church, we got the main calling. And there are good functions, secondary good functions that we have to care about. No doubt about that. But we have to make sure that these secondary things do not compete with the main function, the main calling. Differently said, rather, whenever we talk about the secondary things, and we should, again, we'll do that uh, along the way. But as we do that, our question should always be, are all these things helping our church become better witnesses? Again, if we don't do that, we will break. We will lose our mission. And I've seen many followers of Christ who lose their ways because they lost mission. They lost purpose of why they're Christians. And we don't want that as a church either. And when we have that at the forefront of our minds, we can grow. We will be invincible because, not because of us, but because of the Holy Spirit that empowers us. So let's rely on Him. Let's receive His grace and focus on the mission. Let's pray together. I just want us to pray. Um, I think this passage or the idea of missions can kind of come across in different ways for different people. For some of us, you may feel um, bothered and guilty because you feel like you, know, you haven't done a good job of doing that um, individually. Um, but if you are in that place, I want to encourage you to stay away from the guilt, but may you use that state to uh, cling on to Christ, cling on to the Holy Spirit, saying, God, I need you. I, I, I see that this is what you want me to do, what, what you want us to do as a church, but I'm far from it. I need your grace. Help me. Apart from you, I can do nothing. I just want to really encourage that so that even in your weakness, especially in your weakness, the Holy Spirit may be strong. And maybe for some of us here joining our church, uh, you know, not as believers, I just want you to see that Christ is reaching out. He's God who reaches out. And Christians reach out, not because Christians are arrogant and Christians get that a lot. Is that why they evangelize? Because they're better? 
No, it's the opposite. Because they are terrible by themselves because of sin. But only because of grace, they want to share the same grace with some of us as well. So may you see that, that this is a call of love and inclusion. So can I just ask us to pray right now, wherever you are receiving this message and the call to mission. May you pray, may you rely on the Holy Spirit, may you rely on Christ who wants to empower you and encourage you to be the one, uh, to be people that He wants you to be. Let's pray together. I'm going to close, close us in prayer, but uh, I just want to encourage us just to enjoy this time. Uh, like I said, our job as a church the reason why we're here is to enjoy God, enjoy the gospel, just like we just sang. In Him, because of His precious blood, we don't have to be held back by our shame anymore. We're free. And just look at the cross. How much does God have to love me that He would give me His one only Son? Immense. So first and foremost, before we even kick ourselves to you know, tell other people about the gospel, I think the first step is us coming back to the cross and enjoy Him, love Him because He first loved us. He's the healer. He knows the worst about me, but He still loves me. And He will always keep me by his side will never let me go can we do that just enjoy his presence here through his Holy Spirit and ask him for more let's pray together oh gracious father we are your children because of Jesus Christ that just as you love Christ, you love us. How wonderful, Lord. So God, help us open up our hearts. We know that we don't have control over our own hearts many times because of sin, so that our hearts can be hard. But your Holy Spirit overcomes our hearts and make our hearts soft to hear your word and get to feel your presence so may you do that in our hearts wherever we are in this place wherever we are from you with you and as you heal our hearts God May you give us courage to be able to be faithful to the mission 
the main mission that you have given us as a church. Help us to be faithful. Help us always keep that as our priority and not be swept up by other things as important as they may be. So we can please you, Lord. We exist for you. Have mercy on us during this season, especially, God, for our church. But thank you for your unending grace that always embraces us and propels us forward. We love you. Thank you, Lord. Let us end this time together with the Lord's Prayer.